Jesus made a bunch of radical statements that uh, different ones, depending on where they were, would have, would have thought them to be quite radical, quite different uh, from what he said. For instance, the religious leaders would have, uh, would have heard a couple things that he said and just literally kind of blown their minds, like, what in the world is he saying? Uh, and particularly some of them they would have taken great offense at. For instance, one time Jesus said, uh, I and the Father are one. In essence, what he was saying was he's equal with God. I mean, the religious leaders, they about had a cow when Jesus said that. He kind of followed that up, and they, they felt about the same about uh, this statement. He said, before Abraham was, I am. In essence, saying, I was there at the beginning. Before Abraham was, I was there at creation. Man, they couldn't handle that. And another time, Jesus said to, to a guy, your sins are forgiven. Well, no one can forgive sins except for God. So they understood the implication of what he was saying was that he was God. And man, that freaked him out. But even... Even to the church, when we read Scripture, when we read the Gospels and, 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 uh, and, and the Holy Word, there's phrases that come out that are, are radical. Uh, if you really stop and think about it, if you really take them to heart, if you really uh, meditate on them and, and try to believe what uh, is being said, it's radical. Jesus said uh, once to us, uh, you've heard it, to, uh, it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, we kind of read that, but if you stop and really think about what that said, wow, that's tough. That is radical. He said, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, give them a left hook. No, he said, turn to them the other cheek. What? I, I don't want to do that. That sounds really good, but, but if I have to put that in my life, boy, that is radical. He said, you've heard it said not to commit adultery. I tell you, if you look at another woman with lust in, in your heart, you've committed adultery. Man alive, are you serious? Jesus Jesus made radical statements all the time. In John 13, 35, we mentioned this uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, actually two, two weeks in a row, going to mention it again today. John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this all men you'll, will know you're my disciples if you love one another. The reality is that is a radical statement that how are people going to know Jesus? How are they going to know we're, we're his followers? It's if we have love for one another. The benchmark statement, the goal for the church then, is that we live such transformed lives, that we live lives that are so changed uh, that we love one another, care for one another, bless one another, that uh, inside the church as well as outside, that people see us as individuals and as a body, and they see Christ. They recognize Christ, and they recognize who we um, follow. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father. We're, we're called to live in such a way it, so that people will see what we do. The reality is when we serve, when we serve, when, when we have a heart of love, when we care about one another, people see our actions and ultimately praise God. Uh, when they see Jesus in us, then they recognize us as his followers. We are called, uh, we're called today to be radically different. If you want to keep notes, I apologize we don't have notes in the bulletin. That's my bad. Uh, but, but if you want to put notes, the title of the sermon is to be radically different. Are, are we radically different in, uh, in the Lord? The truth is when we serve like we're required to serve, like God wants us to serve, when we have a heart like Jesus, people see it. Let me give you a couple illustrations. This, these all actually happened uh, a year ago on our trip to Mexico. I, I've told you about uh, some of the trips that we've had. 
But two years ago, when we went to Mexico, when we crossed the border, um, uh, every time you cross the border, you, you never know what's going to happen. You don't know if it's going to cross going into to Mexico, if it's going to be smooth. This year, uh, they actually looked at the, uh, we had a power trial in the back of one of the pickups. The guy brought that, and, and all the border people were looking at that and asking us how much it cost and what we're going to do with that, where we're going to sell it. And, and for a while, we thought they were going to tax us on it. Uh, but, but I talked to the lady that was doing our translating for us, and she ended up saying three different people, three different border guards, because they, they just, one after another, kept coming up and looking at it. What is that? Why do you have that? But three different people end up asking her, are you guys Christians? She's like blown away. Are you guys Christians? A year before that, when we crossed the border, they decided they were going to tax us. They taxed us $90 for taking tools into the country. I don't know why. They thought we were going to sell them or something. $90. Well, I did give a couple of them away. But uh, $90 they taxed us. So I stand in line to pay this bogus tax. And a lady behind me asked me in English. She was Mexican, but she asked me in English, uh, what are you guys doing? And I explained that we were there with Costa Macriso to build a house. And she, I, she just couldn't believe it. I said, what? Where'd you come from? I said, well, Kansas City. And she was familiar. And you drove all the way from Kansas City to build a house for a poor family? Do you know the family? I said, no, we don't know. The, for poor families that you don't know? I can't believe that. Man, praise God that you're doing that. It, I walked away. I was like glad to pay the 90 bucks for after getting that. Uh, later that week, we, we went to the grocery store, S-Mart. And as we, a couple of us got out, a guy came across the parking lot at us and, and in English said, hey, how are you guys doing? And, and when you're in Mexico, when people speak English to you, Mexican people speak English, usually it's one of two things going to happen. They love to speak English and prove to you that they know English, or they're going to ask you for something. So, so the guy said, hey, how are you doing? We're like, we're fine. And he says, are you guys with Casas Per Cristo? And I thought, okay, here it comes. He's going to ask for something. He's going to ask for some money. Can, can uh, you build a house for me or whatever? And we said, well, yeah, we're here with them. We don't work for them, but we're volunteering. He said, thank you. Ten years ago, you built a house for my wife and her family. And it was such a blessing to them. I just wanted to say thank you for what you guys said. Oh, wow. Later that week, in that same grocery store, we were buying food for uh, about 30 families. There was, I don't know, probably 30, 35 Americans that had, uh, had descended on this grocery store and spread out buying, grabbing stuff and filling carts. And I went up to this little kiosk that sells or, or where you can pick up cactus. They literally have a guy there with a knife cutting the thorns off the cactus leaves, cutting them up into small pieces and, and packaging them. So, so I grabbed a bunch, but he didn't have enough. So I asked him, I got my translator, and asked him if he had more. And then he looked at me and said, why are you here? And so we kind of explained what we were doing, that we were here, you know, we're buying food for families. And, and, and he, he said this, why? About that time, a, a, another worker at Smart came up um, who spoke to me. She said, do you want me to translate for you? And so I, I told him why we were there, that, you know, because of Jesus, we were there trying to, trying to show love to, to people and, and demonstrate love in practical ways. And, and, and so after she had done that, the guy just kind of nodded his head. And then she looked at me and she said, I remember you. I'm like, really? She said, you were here last year, weren't you? And I said, yeah. You know, you're the only group that comes here and buys food for poor families. Now the reality is, I'm sure we're not the only group that did that. But the truth is, she recognized uh, that we were there representing the Lord and was blessed by that. When we, when we serve, when we are different, people can't help but notice that. We're going to look this morning in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to finish the, 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 the chapter. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we'll look at verse 17 down through the end of the chapter. 
And basically what we're doing is we're going to compare, because this is what Paul does, compare and contrast a couple different ideas. He's calling us to be radically different. And, and he points out three ways I think that we are called to be radically different. Here's the first one. We're to be radically different in our thinking. If you have your Bibles, look with me in verses 17 to 24. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separate from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, now it kind of describes what it shows itself as, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with continual lust for more. You, however, now he's contrasting that, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. What he points out there in verse, verse 17 and 21, here's the compare and contrast. In verse 21, he says, the futility of their thinking, or verse 17, excuse me, the futility of their thinking. And in verse 21, he says, surely you have heard of him and were taught in him according, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So here's the, con the, the contrast, futility with truth. Now notice how Paul started that off. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Remember how he started off chapter uh, chapter 4, the, the first verse? We looked at this a few weeks ago. Verse uh, Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, As prisoners of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the Lord. Now he says, I insist on it in the Lord. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago when he said, I urge you that that word was as strong a word as he could use to really put on them that that's what they needed to do. It wasn't just, hey, if you want to, he was, was urging them to do it. And another way to say that would be he was insisting that they do that. Let me, let me give a, a, an illustration of that. Uh, now, our kids are all grown and, and gone. It might notice we have, uh, I have my oldest son and his wife Heidi and some three of our grandkids here today, although some are missing now already, so... Uh, so Zoe and Heidi will be good. We don't have to worry about them being too loud during service. But they're here, here today. So when my kids were growing up, there were times we might leave to, to, to go out for something, maybe go to town, leave them home, and we might give them some instructions. Let's say we might tell them to clean their room. Uh, I don't know how it works in your house. You might have really, really good kids. So when you say clean your room, you know when you come home the room's going to be clean. There were times if we just said clean your room or whatever the job might be, we, we might come home and it might be done, it might not. So there were other times, if it really was important to us, we would make sure it was, I didn't necessarily say I insist on it, it was probably coupled with a threat, you will clean your room or. Uh, in other words, when, you, when we get home, we're going to check. We expect, we insist, it is important that you do it. What Paul's saying here, uh, I insist, and, and he's using the power of the Lord with it, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord. This is not optional. It's not decide if you want to do it or not. Paul is insisting that they be radically different in their thinking. Uh, when we take 
when we take God out of our lives and out of our families and out of our community, out of our country, out of our world, we end up with futility. Notice how he describes it in verses 18 and 19. It says they were, they were darkened in their understanding. They were separate from the life of God because of ignorance due to the hardening of their hearts. Uh, and and then, then he talks about they were left to their indulgences in verse, uh, verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they given themselves over to sensuality and, and all that, that goes uh, with that. The, the truth is, the truth is we are, called, we are called to be radically different in our thinking. For the church at Ephesus, for the church at Ephesus, when Paul insisted that they be different, it would, it would take a, a great amount of courage for them to stand up against their culture. If you look back in Acts chapter 19, we're not going to go there, but if you look back in Acts chapter 19, that's when Paul was in Ephesus. And he had a big dispute that came up because he was, was, uh, got a guy named Demetrius upset because this guy made, made these idols uh, of, the, of the god Artemis, or some would say it was called Diana. Uh, she was the god of, of the moon, the, the god of hunting, the, the god of fertility. And, and her temple was in Ephesus. It was the, the, the beacon of worship for, for this god. In fact, in that day, it was one of the, the wonders of the world. And in Ephesus, that was the god you worship. And everything about worship for, for Artemis or for, for Diana was about sensuality. In fact, they, part, part of the worship was 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 prostitution involved in the little the air, the area of the temple? I mean, it was all messed up, and so Paul's asking the church at Ephesus to be different than that. See, that was what they were living with. That was what was expected of them. That was what was normal. Now Paul's saying, "Give up that futility and move on to something um, that's better." The, the reality is, our world's not a whole lot different than that, and Paul. And God is challenging us, challenging us to be uh, uh, to be different in our world as well. See, see, in that world, they were trying to fill the God-sized void in their heart. They're trying to build it, fill it with all sorts of vile stuff, and it always left them wanting more. Marcus Barth says of this word futility: with one single word, Paul describes the majority of the inhabitants of the Greco-Roman Empire as aiming with silly methods at a meaningless goal. Trying to, trying to fill the void in their heart and in their life with futility, with emptiness. See, that word futile literally means empty. So they were going after something that was empty. This, this last summer when we were in Mexico, it was the end of one of the days. We were just starting to pack stuff up and go back to the church and and I decided, I, I, I was thirsty, I decided I wanted to drink water, so I went over and got my water bottle, and we had two big uh, jugs there. One had Gatorade, one had water, and I, I went over to one jug, my empty, dry water bottle, and I, I, I pushed the button, and nothing came out. The water was, all, I tipped it up, still nothing. It's okay, I'll drink some Gatorade. So I went to the Gatorade jug, and I, I pushed the button, and, and I, I, I leaned it back, and nothing. I tell you what, I went from being thirsty I thought I was dying at first. Now, okay, I'm, I'm exaggerating there, but I went from thirsty to parched, or whatever stronger word 
you could do. I went from thirsty to really whining about being thirsty at that point. There, there's nothing that, nothing that's so futile, that's so empty, than realizing what you're putting your hope in is empty. When, when we put our hope in the things of the world uh, and they don't satisfy, they, they come up empty. That's what Paul would describe as futile. But he contrasts that with, with some radical thinking, with, with radical ways to look at it. Look at verses, uh, uh, verses 22 to 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Now let me stop there for just a second and make, make a note. It says we were told to put off our old self. In, in Greek, the verb that's used there has the tense that has this idea, the idea of completion. So in other words, when he says you're to put off your old self, that's a one-time thing. The, the action is done. The action is completed. So when he says to put off your old self, that's a one-time thing. You don't continually put off your old self. You don't do it now and then again tomorrow. You put off your old self. That's one time that you put off your, your old self. Uh, but he goes on, and, and, and we'll make some explanation of that. You were taught with regard to your former way to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. But in verse 23, he says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. To be made new. The Greek there has the idea of continuing action. So another way, another way to, to, uh, to interpret that is the renewing of your mind. So, so putting to death or putting off the old self, getting rid of the old, is a one-time action, but renewing your mind seeking holiness, seeking righteousness, seeking, seeking sanctification. That is something that happens continually over and over again. It made me think of Romans chapter 12. I'm sure these are verses you know very well, but Romans 12, the first couple of verses says this, and it really describes this whole idea of renewing. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, which is the putting off the old, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Continuous action. So we are to continually be striving for sanctification, holiness, righteousness, God-likeness, Christ-likeness. That's something that happens continually. Notice what he goes on and says in verse 24. To put on the new self. That, that's the same Greek that he used when taking off the old. It's a one-time action. It's one time committing yourself to Christ. It's one time saying, I'm, I'm getting rid of the old. I'm, I'm dying to the old self. I'm coming anew, alive in Christ. It's illustrated in baptism. I'm, I'm dying to self and I'm putting on Christ. I'm being clothed with Christ, Paul says in, in Colossians. I'm, I, I, and I do that one time. I put Christ on and then I continually try to be like Him. Created in God to be true and righteous in holiness that's radical we're called we're called to be like him anyone here uh, anyone here a sinner <laughs> anyone here messed up anyone anyone here make you know make bad decisions I, I i would assume we all should raise our hands in fact john in first john says if we say we don't have sin uh, we're a liar and the truth's not in us so we really should all raise yeah yeah i am but do you realize that god is calling you, even as a sinner, even if you're messed up, even if you made mistakes, even if you don't look like Him all the time, 
God is calling you to be radically different in your thinking, changed by Him. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. See, how do we do it? It's through the power of Jesus. It's through the power of Jesus. He also calls us not just to be radical in our thinking, but to also be radical in our speech. Look at verses 25 uh, down through verse 29. Therefore, in verse 25, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for all of us are members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who is stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their need, so that it may benefit those who listen. We are, we are contrasting, or Paul's contrasting falsehood and, uh, and seasoned speech. Falsehood and seasoned. He talks there and, and, and kind of describes some things. Uh, uh, lying, anger, stealing. He says there in verse 29, says, do not let any unwholesome talk. That, that word literally means, and would have been used this way, rotting fish. Rotting fish. Don't let any rotting fish come out of your mouth. Do you realize that, that with our speech and with our words, we can sometimes spew that rottenness? And what happens when we spew that rotten fish? Not only do we smell like it, but others do as well. Uh, last Friday night, we, we attended, this is why Joel came home this weekend. Uh, I bet some of you were there. Uh, it was the, the 69th DeKalb Homecoming. Any of you guys attend that? None of, none of really, the world-famous DeKalb Homecoming? Uh, I mean, they had food and an Elvis impersonator and bouncy houses. You didn't go? Oh, gosh, I can't believe that. But anyway, we were there Friday night, and uh, our grandkids were running around. They had their shoes off, and they were running around to all these bouncy houses, just having a good time when Isabel, my, uh, my granddaughter, comes running up to her daddy and she says, Daddy, I stepped in some doo-doo. And, and you look down and her, I'm sorry for the, the visual, her foot was covered. I mean, it squished up through the toes and, um, you know, like, I, I think you look over at Heidi, like a decab. You know, there's dogs at Rome. And, and uh, so, uh, so he, Joe took her over to get her cleaned up. And we're kind of talking about it. And this other little girl walks by and she said, so what happened? And, you know, I just said, well, my granddaughter stepped in some dog doo-doo. She's like, catch this. She said, I know I can smell it. <laughs> what Paul, this would have been the mental picture as he's saying that don't let any unwholesome talk, don't even let any rotten fish talk come out of your mouth. They, they would have caught it. They would have realized. See, see when, we, when we let that kind of stuff, whether it's through anger or bitterness or or harmful words, or cutting, whatever it might be. When that comes out, it's like we're spewing rotten fish. And, and not only do we smell, but that ends up on other people uh, as well. He, he contrasts that with being seasoned. Uh, instead, only, only talk about what can be beneficial that can meet the needs of those who listen over in Colossians chapter 4 Paul explains it this way chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 he says 
Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation or let your speech, let your words be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Uh, So instead of lies and anger and hurt and pain and rotten, Paul says, let it be seasoned with the ability to meet a need and bless. How how do we do that? Well, well, the first thing, it takes a heart change. That's what he's talking about in being renewed day to day. You, you, you've come to know the Lord. You put your old life away. You, you put on Christ. That's one time. But now you've got to be sanctified. You've got to come to know Him and grow in Him. How do we do it? We change our heart. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart, or out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we change our heart, then our speech will change. And the second way we do it is that we make sure our speech is need-based. That when we talk, when we talk, we reach out to bless. See, see, here's radical, here's radical speech. We say things that will lift someone up. There might be, might be people here today that, that are saying or thinking to themselves, well, there's not much I can do in the church. Maybe you're a teenager. Well, I'm just a kid. I can't do anything. Maybe you're, maybe you're an adult, but you really don't know a whole lot. You're new to the faith. There's nothing much I can do. Maybe you're, you're a senior saint. Here and you say, well, time has passed me by, there's nothing I can do. The reality is every one of us can make a difference. Every one of us can make a difference with our words. John Trent was speaking at a conference. He's a, a Christian author that, 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 that has written about family and speaks on family issues. He was at a conference, and after he finished speaking, a lady came up to him and said, let me tell you, let me tell you a story. She said, my son took his three-year-old daughter out for breakfast, kind of a daddy-daughter date one time. And he said, as they, as they sat down and they ordered, and, and just as the food had arrived, the daddy began to, he said, my son began to, to, to speak to his daughter. And he just wanted to encourage her. So he said to his daughter, honey, do you know that mommy and daddy love you? That you're really special to us? That we are so happy that God gave you to us? And, and he kind of said some things like that. And then he reached down and picked, started to pick up his fork. And his three-year-old daughter reached over and grabbed his arm and pulled his hand down and said, more, daddy, more. And so he continued. He said, well, well, honey, you're so beautiful. And we, did you know we prayed for you before you were ever born? And, and we're so happy that God, and just several things like that. And he thought, well, that's satisfied. He picked up his fork. She reached over and grabbed his hand and put it down again. Three or four times, she, he, she would stop in more, Daddy, more. Till finally he said, okay, that's enough. We need to eat. Our food's getting cold. Three days later, the, the little girl was in the, the kitchen with her mom. And mom was cooking, and the little door, girl was playing. And the little girl looked up to her. Her mom said, I'm special. Just kind of out of the blue, Mom, I'm special. And, and the mom said, well, yeah, you're special. And she said, you want to know how I know I'm special? Mom said, well, sure, because my daddy told me. <laughs> the truth is, uh, our, our words, as Paul says here, uh, can be helpful for building others up according, according, uh, according to their needs. That's radical speech. And finally, he talks about radical compassion. We'll, we'll finish here. Look at verses uh, 30 to the end of the chapter, chapter. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Gives another list. Or get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, 
just as in Christ God forgave you. Radical compassion is this. He compares and contrasts what saddens God with what blesses God. Notice what he says there, verse 30, and do not catch this. this I read this and it almost, it almost just hit me in the, you know, hit me in the head. It, it, it jumped out at me. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that, do you realize that our, our actions and our heart can sometimes grieve the Holy Spirit? He said the Holy Spirit, this is the second time he said it in Ephesians, the Holy Spirit was given to us as a seal. It's a kind of a rubber stamp of authenticity that we belong to God. So the Holy Spirit is in us to, to help us, to encourage, but it's also there to say, hey, you are changed. You are different. You belong to me. That's what the Holy Spirit is. He says, don't grieve the, the Holy Spirit. Don't sadden the Holy Spirit. Don't sadden God with rage and bitterness and all of that stuff. Do you realize that sometimes we can literally with the attitude and the actions that we have in the church and as believers and in our families and in our community, that we can actually sadden God. There's times that God just shakes his head, just like we do as parents sometimes. There's sometimes God shakes his head like, what were they thinking? That's not what I told them. That's not the heart that I gave them. When did they see Jesus acting like that? Sometimes we... Sadden God, but, but he contrasts that with this. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't sadden the Holy Spirit. Instead, instead, let people see your compassion. He describes it this way. Compassion and forgiveness kind of locked together. Some of you probably uh, have, have heard this story or read, read this book. If you have, It's an old one, but if you haven't, it would be a great book uh, to read. Back in 1956, there were, there were five missionaries from Wheaton College that traveled from, uh, from Illinois to Ecuador uh, to reach out to one of the native tribes there. Uh, including that group was a guy named Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, and there were three other gentlemen as well. They went there with their, their families. They, they reached out to this, this group of, uh, of Indians called the Aka Indians, which literally meant, it was kind of a derogatory term, but meant naked savage. And, and, and they reached out to them and tried to, to find a way to show the love of Christ to them. And they thought they were making, making some headway. Then in 1956, one day they landed on, on, a, on a sandbar and, and later the bodies of these five missionaries were found dead. They'd been speared by the Indians that they were reaching out to uh, to, to try to, to, to show the love of Christ. Uh, sometime after that, the sister of one of the men, Nate Saint, his sister Rachel returned to Ecuador and started reaching out to these same Indians. She had a breakthrough and was able to convert one and then another and then another. A few years later, the son of Nate Saint, Steve Saint, traveled to Ecuador and, and stayed there and ministered with the families. In fact, ministered to, to a, a man named, um, I can't find it in my notes, sorry. A man named Minke, man named Minke, who was literally the man that had speared his father to death. Human thinking would have said, "Forget him. They, they, they killed our husbands. They killed our brothers. They killed our dads. 
why would we care about these savages? That, that, no one would have thought sec, a second thought about that had that been their attitude. But instead, these families went back and said, we're going to love you. We're going to forgive and we're going to show compassion. It's radical. Now, I doubt that any of you have stories where someone has speared your father or your brother or your husband. I, now, maybe you felt like a barb hit you and it hurt pretty bad. The, the reality is God has called us. Even if we find ourselves wounded, even if we find ourselves hurt, God has called us to show forgiveness and compassion. Just as Christ in God showed that to us. Are, are you radically different? Paul calls us here. Compares and contrasts their, their old way of thinking, their old life, the, the world they were living in, the culture they were living in. He compares and contrasts what was futile and what gave life and purpose and meaning. It's radical, but that's what he calls you to. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you today that you, you've chosen to use us, even though we fall short, even though oftentimes the old man tries to sneak in and, 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 and rear its head. Father, even though sometimes we get hurt and we lash out with our words and, and our actions, Father, you still choose to use us. You've chosen us to be the instruments of your love. You've chosen us to be the ones that would demonstrate Christ's likeness. Uh, Father, challenge us today. Let it be our, our mission, our goal, our heart to be radically different because of you. Uh, we know that comes not from our own strength or our own power or even our own desires, but that comes from you. It comes from the Holy Spirit you place in our life to seal and to protect us. Father, let us turn over to you those things that maybe we're holding on to today, the pains, the hurt, the anger. Father, let us give that all up to you uh, so that we can find in you uh, the compassion, the forgiveness, the love, uh, the holy, radical living you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this morning and you've got a decision you need to share with the congregation, maybe you're, maybe you're here and you just simply need prayer, you want the, the, the leaders, the elders of the church to come up and lay their hands on you and, and encourage. If you're here today and you need anything, we'd invite you to come. Maybe you're here today and, uh, and, and your life hasn't been very radical. You've been kind of just sliding along and you look an awful lot like the world right around you. Well, sometimes we fall, fall into that, uh, that mode. If you're here today and you are challenged to be radically different and you need to share that, would you come?